0: Okay, we are uh, back in the studio. Um, thanks for joining us, everyone. This is the Ordinary Courage podcast, and I'm excited to say that this is uh, episode five. Um, and today in the studio on the podcast, I have Earl Thiessen is in the house. <laughs> And so I'm very excited to have Earl um, as our guest on the on the show today. So thank you, Earl, for being here.
1: Thank you for having me
0: with us. Yeah. Okay. So Earl Thiessen, I'm just going to tell you a little bit about Earl. So Earl has been with Oxford House uh, for 11 years. Oxford House is a uh, treatment center Earl can tell you more about this after but Oxford House is a treatment center here in Calgary Alberta and so Earl's been with Oxford House for 11 years in a variety of positions and assumed the role of executive director on July 1st 2019 developer of numerous recovery housing models including pre-treatment housing entry level uh, housing and the collaborative peer-supported Indigenous recovery housing model, from homelessness to executive director, a strong advocate for recovery and the peer-supported housing model. Wow, Earl! I I know that there is like, I know that there's there's another uh, version of your bio that can be found on the website. But my my favorite part I think of your bio is where it says from homelessness to executive director and i i i just i actually want to jump in right there if we can i there's i know there's 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 a lot that we're going to try to pack Mm. into our time together here so but i want to i want to start right there homeless
1: yeah i uh i ended up uh, on the streets in 2000 uh, I was dropped off there at the drop-in center. The actual, the the old one, the little building that I think mm-hmm. now is the the clothing center. Mm-hmm. But uh, you want to talk about being nervous and scared. I uh, I'd never been in that situation before. I had always had somebody looking out for me: my parents, my brother, family, uh, friends. But uh, that that was that was one of the rock bottoms that that uh, my addictions had led me to. I walked in there. I was so scared.
0: How how old were you when that happened? I was thirty. Okay.
1: Yeah, thirty years old. I uh, the the odd thing was I fit right in. It was it, I mean the the whole center was full of people struggling with uh, mental health and addictions, right? Mm-hmm. So I I found found my little click there, mm-hmm. and and we just we connected. I connected with about half a dozen guys right away.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, one of those guys now is 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 my best friend was the best man at my wedding wow yeah it was my roommate in in oxford house but uh, when,
0: when you <coughs> say connected sorry i just want to jump in there mm-hmm. when you say connected would explain that because because i'll just because i used to work at the di mm-hmm. i worked there for a few years and i and i remember for me when i went there i found like i found my people mm-hmm. and so when you say you connected right away what cause we're all longing for that connection yeah
1: yeah well i I'd, I'd i'd went down there uh, uh with s- some pot and everything and uh you sit at one of the tables and i looked around got a lay of the land i guess you could say to see see what i could uh assume about others and uh right away I'd offered a couple guys to go out and and smoke a joint and and that was it i was i was in i guess you could say mm-hmm. in a mm-hmm. in a bad way
2: mm-hmm mm-hmm
1: but uh i had uh i'd went through a lot of trauma even living living at the drop in center i i eventually got barred for trafficking uh, uh cocaine on their property and i had no idea about we call it the other side like where the alpha house and everything is mm-hmm. i had no idea about that side of of the homelessness and and the uh i guess you could say resources on that side. Mm-hmm. So I ended up spending a whole winter sleeping outside in a makeshift lean to by Bridgeland Memorial Sea train station. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. When, when people say it it's cold out and there's a lot of people that have an idea, but I mm-hmm. I was there. There's like you're you're under ten blankets, you got a fire burning. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you wake up and you can't feel your feet and you're hoping it's not frostbite. So it was a pretty, pretty rough introduction to the street. My first year down there.
0: Mm-hmm. So what, uh, what caused that? What, what led to that? See, because that's I, I remember, like I remember working at at the DI and I and getting to know the people that live there, right? And because they're, we all have this. Um, it's like this. And we, even when Tony was in the studio last week and we were, you know, we have that brown paper bag assumption of mm-hmm. addiction, right? The guy under the bridge. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? And yes. he's just a bum, right? He's just a no good for nothing bum. Like, why doesn't he just stop and get a job, right? Quit and get a job. And, and I remember when I was working at the DI and getting to know the people, getting to hear the stories and they're just, they're you and I. They're exactly. you They're you and I, mm-hmm. you know. And so, so tell me. So you didn't just one day end up at the DI. Like no, no one just one right. <laughs> no. Yeah, no, no one just one day like. Oh, I think <clears throat> I would like to live at the DI. Yeah. You know. Like so, how did you end up there? You're thirty.
1: Um, a lot of that was was unresolved trauma. I'm uh I'm a survivor of, of pretty much every abuse you can imagine. I, I know my childhood wasn't that rough, right? It, in the 70s, it was a little bit different than now, right? Uh, spanking was, was kind of a normal thing back mm-hmm, then. Mm-hmm. How, um, how old are you? I Now I'm, I just turned 50 August 12th.
0: Oh, yay. Yeah. Happy, <laughs> happy birthday. <laughs> I'm 48, <laughs> so when you talk about the 70s and having a spanking, like we, we called them lickings, so yeah. I... I hear you, brother. Yeah, it was, it was a normal <laughs> yeah. thing back then. It, yeah. I
1: mean, it's frowned upon now. But yeah. that uh, when I was in my early teens, I had uh, started to drink, you know, with the boys, doing drugs, you know, just, just smokables and stuff like that. But uh, when I was about 13, uh, I just told my dad about this three weeks ago. He had no idea. Wow. Outside of when I did my step five, I never told anybody. I just told my dad I was sexually abused uh, by an older gentleman i was I was drinking and I got drunk and passed out and and woke up and and he was playing with me and everything and it uh that there's a point through your life in recovery where you can almost pinpoint where. The damage, the serious damage was done
2: mm-hmm.
1: where the shame mm-hmm. kicked in because I'm a firm believer a lot of addiction is, is the reason why a lot of us use is we're so ashamed. It's shame-based. Mm-hmm. And that that was... that I was so ashamed I didn't tell my dad until three weeks ago. And I've been clean and sober for 12 years. I didn't... I thought that would take something away from what he thought of me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. But that that was... That was it I, I I didn't want to tell anybody i it's It's something that for a man, and I know especially you know being an indigenous male and having so many friends and people that have helped with with that struggle, it's not something that men like to talk openly about mm-hmm. it It was hard for me just to get that out, but mm-hmm. you asked the question so. I want to be honest, because if, if it's going to help somebody, you heal through your words, yes. you heal when you speak. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, I t- kind of held to hold it together there when I said that, because it, it's damaging, I think, about that, that boy mm-hmm. and waking up and not knowing what to do and getting out of that house with my friend as quick as possible. And he said, what was going on? I said he came into the room and I woke up I didn't want to say anything right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and I held that until I did my step 5 when I was 37 that unresolved trauma the the shame to speak about it is it, it's devastating and mm-hmm. if people can just speak about it it just helps the whole process along Absolutely
0: I'm I'm uh I, I know how hard that is I like I know that there is an element of there's a there's a difference in the sense that you're a man right and I and I'm a woman um, but I think the sexual abuse is sexual abuse mm-hmm. you know what I mean and I can I can relate to the shame not wanting to say anything like you know and and I and I do think that it happens a lot more to men to boys like to to young boys Mm -hmm. than I mean I, I think we're I would like to think that we're getting a little bit better at sharing these things you know especially for, for for guys to come forward right like i'm uh i mean you and i were talking just before we kind of started recording here and i i said like it didn't really i don't it's not like you and i are really know each other mm-hmm. right um i guess i just um you're i'm just so i one i'm just so honored that you would share this here on this platform and that you would have the courage to do that
1: there's people out there right now that didn't know that that are gonna <laughs> listen to this and go wow and if and if that's gonna help somebody speak yeah. then that that's why I do it like I said if, if I, it oh, helps one Earl, person yeah the inner trauma for me like you said sp- when you speak you have to speak about it then yeah. it helps me heal yeah Right totally. but it's, it it yeah. still hurts. I, I went I still, right back yes. to that same moment yeah. Yeah. when I woke up when I was explaining it and that's like I said my wife asked why why do I go back and relive that? It's because I want I want to give people the courage to speak about mm-hmm. it, right? It's okay. Mm-hmm. It's you know it's not my fault. Yes. Right? Yes. And letting somebody else know that and hear it might inspire somebody or give them the courage to speak about
0: it I agree I I remember like that that reminds me of when I remember the first time I because you know when and you this you would relate to this too you know like being an alcoholic and having that label and things like that like outside of say like you know 12-step rooms you didn't tell you don't share that kind of stuff with Mm -hmm. anybody because it's you'll you're just you're labeled and and then you're condemned and whatever right but I, I remember, and this ties in with what we're talking about right now, but I remember th- for the first time, and it was actually Glennon Doyle. Have you ever heard of Glennon Doyle? Mm. Anyways, it's r- irrelevant. But So Glennon Doyle had written a blog, right? And so it was out there for all the world to see. And I remember in this blog she had written, she talked about being an alcoholic and having mental uh, mental health issues and stuff like And I, I actually couldn't believe that this woman was doing that out loud. Mm-hmm. But you know what it did at that time in my life? I remember this like it was happened this morning. Forget yesterday, you know, but mm-hmm. it was like it, oh, it literally opened the door. It gave me permission to open the door of my alcoholism and start, that's when I started to get, I, I came, I used my outside voice mm-hmm. and started to say, I'm an alcoholic. It's like the same thing with what's happening right now with you. Someone right now listening to this podcast, listening to this story of, you know, you're a very successful man today. You run an incredible organization, you know. Thank you. And and, but but being able to go back and talk about the trauma at thirteen of being sexually molested, I it wouldn't I wouldn't doubt it at, at all if that freed a lot of people to come forward with their stories, because that's this is the power of us sharing our stories. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So you. You really, um, so you s- you said the first time you shared this was like in your, doing your fifth step.
1: Doing my step five, yeah.
0: How many years ago was that, you said, at 37? Um,
1: that was about 12, 12 years ago, okay. I would say.
0: And so you hadn't really shared it or talked about it since? I hadn't
1: spoken to anybody about it.
0: So why why now, do you think, Earl? Like, what what's happened? Do you think I it's just natural transformation in your life, or...? well
1: no i i i know how i felt doing this step i had to clean out my closet that's mm-hmm. i know step one is is important but for me step five and releasing or being honest with myself like i i just let it all out it was two and a half hours i i did it with a female elder a representation of my mom uh and it, the way I felt when I walked out of that room, I knew the changes were coming. I, I just felt so relieved. They say, empty those rocks out of your yes, bag. And yes. that uh, took me two and a half hours to empty the rocks out of my bag. And I, I just felt so relieved and unashamed mm-hmm. of, of what had happened. We had a nice talk afterwards and and i just it was life-changing for me that's my life changed and and went into recovery mode i guess you could say Mm -hmm. then and there i I went finally okay now now what i have to do to heal and and you know Mm -hmm. grow growth was huge right
0: totally i i can oh my gosh i could just i can relate so much to what you're saying yeah okay so take us from there so so, thirteen, this happens um so let's d- kind of jump back so you're so this is sort of the beginning of when things really took a turn for the worse so this yeah. is basically this is the story of how Earl ends up at the Calgary drop in a rehab center at mm-hmm. thirty yeah
1: And in, in in between there it was it was all hidden uh I felt the shame and everything i I was uncomfortable. Comfortable with myself. There was a lot of self-esteem issues, mm-hmm. self-worth issues. Like I was, wrestling was one of the best things that happened to me while I was growing up doing freestyle Olympic, Olympic wrestling. Uh, it it gave me the the release, the physical energy release that I think I needed. Mm-hmm. I was I was I was actually pretty awesome. I was, yeah, I do I doubt was city that. champion, right? <laughs> wow. Second in the nationals, provincial champion, Saskatchewan. Uh, I finished second in the Open Nationals in Saskatchewan. I was city champion here. It was I had Junior Olympic champion two years in a row, and then I had uh, I had the Al Bundy story. I say in high school when I got my my knee tweaked playing football, and that was it. Mm-hmm. But throughout the first time I drank was uh, or the first time I I really knew that alcohol was an issue was about six months after the the abuse.
0: Okay. And how, how did you know?
1: I blackout. I drink to blackout all the time. I, uh, there was one time when I was in junior high, I passed out in the snow, probably 50 yards from my front door. I was drinking about a hundred yards from where my parents were. I passed out in the field of the junior high school I was in, in the snow. And two of the people I was drinking with brought me back in the house if they never saw me in the snow there I'd I'd probably be be gone right Mm -hmm. but that's when it and then it slowly progressed through junior high through high school Uh, it was probably about grade 11 that uh, I realized it was it was full-blown addiction I moved away from my parents in Calgary went to Saskatoon back to where I was doing high school before Mm -hmm. And it was just blackout after blackout. So
0: when you, like you say, I knew it was full blown addiction. How how did you know that? How did you know?
1: Life became unmanageable. I I didn't care about the grade twelve. I didn't I didn't care about anything. I didn't care about what I had to do to get the alcohol. Right. I was I was stealing from liquor stores. Then. Mm -hmm. So you
0: knew in your head. Like, I have an addiction issue? Like, you remember having that I, talk with yourself?
1: It was, uh-oh, right? And mm-hmm. then and then I would try and stop, and I it wasn't full-blown withdrawals, like what mm-hmm. I went through when I uh, first started my recovery. Mm-hmm. But it was the beginning, right? Feeling sick, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Weak. Mm-hmm. I didn't really vibrate or anything then, but I knew I needed my medicine, as we say.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. And then, and then, cause what, how, what, what age range is this now?
1: That was about 17.
0: Okay. So then you obviously have another. It
1: was, yeah, it was right after that for then I call it, uh, I guess you could, you could say functioning alcoholism. I, I kept my job, right. It was a concrete towel roofer. Okay. So, I mean, and everything, every paycheck, it just went on booze and drugs right i had mm-hmm. a I had a place to stay, a lot of that was living with my brother, my oldest brother mm-hmm. right he uh, He kept a roof over my head while I was uh, functioning as an alcoholic and an addict, and then uh, it was actually him that dropped me off at the drop in center
0: so had he just had enough
1: um, I think it was more his uh, his wife had
0: okay <laughs> right
1: because I was staying with him, he had a young Baby, then, and I was just causing too many issues. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, I own it. I, I was. I was. I was trouble with the capital T, right? I just didn't care. I, I cared about my next fix, Mm -hmm. and that was it.
0: It's Uh, it's so (coughs) funny to me, like how, because you, you called yourself a functioning alcoholic, and I. I used to call myself in f- quotations. I, I know it totally <laughs> is in quotations too. Like I it's like an oxymoron mm. those two words together. Yeah. Like I was a functioning <laughs> alcoholic. Yeah. I lo- okay. <laughs> like yeah. because we think we mm. you know because we we ho- held down our job. You exactly. know what I mean? That made yeah. us functioning. Like I maybe wasn't, wasn't doing homeless my yet. Yeah, yeah. Like it just is you know, but we're we're not even really showing up. You know, we're exactly. D- yeah, it's just so, yeah. Okay, so your, you, so your brother drops you off at the DI, and
1: and it took me f- five days to to fit in and and find my groove, I guess you could say. The the group of people that I chose as people that I trusted with my life, because that's basically what you're doing on the street. Mm-hmm. It's it, it's survival mode. Mm-hmm. When they talk about now being a crisis it's a minor crisis compared to what a lot of homeless people go through trying to survive every day you you can't fall asleep anywhere there's the chance of you know you getting murdered mm-hmm. down there mm-hmm. it's it was it's not it wasn't as bad then as it is now cuz i'm still I'm pretty connected. I still talk to a lot of people that I was on the street with,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? I've helped a lot of people that I was on the... Well, I, I say I'm in the business of helping people help themselves, mm-hmm. right? We're recovery housing is what we are. We mm-hmm. we take people out of treatment centers, <clears throat> but I've helped uh, I've helped guide a lot of, of people that I was on the street with. Mm-hmm. A lot of them have long-term uh, recovery now as well. So the the, the reward wow. is there. That's That's my reward is seeing people change their lives Mm -hmm. like me and when I when I when I was a support worker and I would interview people I would ask them what happened Mm because I knew myself Mm -hmm. and being in this sector long enough childhood trauma plays a huge part in why people become addicted Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the mental health issues later on in life Mm -hmm. right that's uh, I appreciate what you do with youth because that's where we have to get people yes absolutely. so they don't end up being 30 years old and getting dropped off at the drop-ins. Yeah,
0: prevention. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, So you're at the DI, how long were you there for? Because then you said you spent like a winter on the...
1: I was there for probably, I would say close close to a year. Okay. Right, and then I spent the, the winter out, went back, they started building the new one. Yeah. The new uh, drop-in center, and it was shortly after they opened those doors uh, that I just started going down to the uh, Alpha House, Mustard Seed, that end. I was, I don't know if it's a proper word, but I guess you could say it was safer. The crowds were smaller over there, mm-hmm. right, because of the smaller centers. hmm
2: mm-hmm. So,
1: and, and again, I found my group of people to hang out with. Most were indigenous. hmm and and they would actually, we would take care of each other. Out there. Yeah. Like I remember, it was funny. I I joked about it after saying, if only my parents could see me this way. The guy was telling me about putting me in a grocery cart and <laughs> wheeling me down to the Alpha House. That's because I started to get into pharmaceuticals then. Okay. And I would mix the pills with the booze. <clears throat> it was a blackout. We we called uh, a lot of times when we when we mixed the two. Uh, doing the cha-cha because you weren't conscious but you were still walking around and you would take two steps right two steps left oh, doing wow. the, and then, yeah oh. it was it was horrible and yeah. uh, I actually OD'd twice and uh, ended up getting pulp fictioned once on the riverbank by the drop-in center and then another time in uh, St. Mary's Can you Park. please
0: explain because not everyone <coughs> will understand.
1: The pulp fictioned? Yes yes. I uh <laughs> I had the adrenaline shot through through my chest cavity into my heart. I I had came to, and uh, an EMS uh, was standing above me, and uh, I just saying, you know, what what happened? And they said we lost you for almost a minute. I had one shoe on and one shoe off, and I I got up and thanked him and walked away. He's calling me back, and I just I just ignored him. I walked into the drop-in center at that time. I was out of it still, but uh, to, get a, to get a pair of shoes. So I had uh, I'd almost lost my life then. And I, I'm a firm believer that I made it through all of that to be sitting here with you right now, to do mm-hmm. what I do mm-hmm. to help people, to, to hopefully inspire people to, mm-hmm. to speak about the trauma. to uh, Recovery is... Is the best option for someone like me, right? Absolutely. <laughs> it was the only option. Same I, with me. I, sh- yeah. I, sh- I should have been dead. Yeah. yeah. My my parents told me stories when they would drive around downtown looking for me. They'd hear on the news that somebody was found frozen to death, outside. So I, I traumatized my parents that way. It's mm-hmm. it's it was ho- like I apologized. I made my amends, but I still I still carry that. I mm-hmm. I know they forgive forgive me for what i put them through for the way i was but i'll never forget mm-hmm. stuff like that i remember talking to my parents for the first time in months through the glass in jail and it it broke my mom's heart she's not with us anymore so every time i i speak about her it it just breaks breaks my heart she i did the eulogy at uh, at her funeral and I'd put the paper down cuz I remember my parents saying to me the one the one thing they wanted to see before they leave is for me to get clean and sober and change my life and my mom got that wish so that I carry that that with me as well not comfort but as as a means of feeling better <laughs> about yeah. my mom's passing right
2: mm-hmm
0: such a um. it's just such a horrible disease hey like it's such a um. it ravages families it ravages lives it's relentless like
1: it's a family disease like they absolutely. say they may not yeah. well in my case it wasn't but lots of the family members weren't addicted but I affected them negatively yeah you yeah. know, many, many, many times, yeah. and and all I can, I even talk about all I can do is is apologize because I can't take back what happened, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I I keep going and I tell people that have lost loved ones to addiction, don't use that as an excuse to relapse, honor them by staying clean and sober. Yeah, yeah, right. Yes, absolutely. My my mom died as a direct result of alcoholism. And I found her after uh, getting back from Ontario to, at a seminar, a recovery seminar. I found her, and it was actually, I think it was my ninth year at Oxford House, and they were going to do a lunch for me. Uh, and I had I'd spoken with Vince. Uh, I said, dude, i gotta, I got to go check on my mom. I called her the night I got back. She didn't answer. I figured, okay, she, she's probably passed out. And then uh, the next day, I I never called her, but I did get a call from the pharmacy saying that we went to drop off your mom's meds. I was basically her primary caregiver for three years, her last three years. But uh, they called me and said she didn't answer the door to get her meds. I had her meds delivered to her, Meals on Wheels, cleaned her place, managed her finances, everything. But uh, I drove, uh, I told Vince I got to go check on her. So I I left, and I was going down Memorial, getting ready to turn into downtown. And I I prayed, and I said, please, God, let her be OK. And I got an answer. And it, it came back saying, she's with us now. And my heart sank, and my stomach knotted up, and I just kept driving. <clears throat> But I got to her building, and I I said to myself, if her, if her Meals on Wheels is hanging on her doorknob, she's gone. And I walked around the corner, and her food was sitting on her doorknob. I opened up the door and called her name. I saw her walker, and I walked around the corner, and there she was, face up, passed away. A visual I'll never get out of my mind, but like I said, I honor her by continuing to help people. One of the recovery traumas I have, I guess you could say, we all we all experience them, but I, again, I, it's the more I speak about it, I'll, I'll cry every time I talk about my <laughs> mom, but to get it out, it just feels better. Yeah. I honor her by her doing exactly what I'm doing.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I totally believe that, too.
1: She's watching me now. Absolutely. She'd always say how proud she was. I was a keynote speaker at Recovery Day the one time, and I went to her house before that. She said she wished she could come. People were worried that I would relapse. They said, "Are you okay? How do you?" The last thing on my mind was I called my my mm-hmm. wife, bawling, telling her what I just saw. She had just learned how to drive. I'd I'd uh, she hadn't driven at all. She'd just gotten her driver's license. She was she was a nervous wreck behind the wheel. But fifteen minutes, she was there with me. Wow. Yeah.
0: Honestly, I don't even really, I don't even really know what to say. I know as as a mom, like, and I have boys. I have my two boys. And I know what addiction's done in my family. I know, like I know where my daughter Eden was. You know, experiencing loss and—it's
1: a lot of weight to carry. It's a lot,
0: <laughs> yeah. It just that's that's actually that's probably like I I want a part of me I want to say to you I'm I'm so sorry for your loss like, but at the same time I almost feel like and i can see as i'm looking at you as you're sharing this like yes you have experienced loss but it's also it's almost like a bitter sweetness thing in a in a way too because just even you know like how sometimes like the worst things we can go through can sometimes they can turn out to be the like the best thing that's ever happened mm-hmm. to us in a way and i almost I almost just kind of get that sense from you that, as hard and horrible as this been, as this has been, and the journey and the road, and but you, but you wouldn't even be who you are today without without it. Exactly. You know,
1: there's a purpose and a yeah, reason for yeah. all of that. I honor, I honor my mom. I honor my culture. Yeah, I reconnected with uh, with our culture. I'm actually going through the process of of getting my uh, Indian registration number right now. I don't think they quite call it an Indigenous registration number yet, (laughs) but (coughs) but I'm going through that process right now, and it's for no other reason but to honor my mom, her ancestry, and for my identity. Yeah, that's all. That's and. I'm a proud Cree man. I, I was homeless. I'm executive director of a nonprofit organization that helped save my life. There's nothing. My kids, everybody. It just it, it's like you said. There's there's a reason, and there there was. I guess you could say it. The trauma happened, and it it didn't benefit me, but it helped me grow into. A better person, a more compassionate person, yeah. a more understanding yes, person.
0: Yes, yes. I, um, you know, I, I love these stories, and I, I, I didn't even totally know what I was getting into here, <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> with with you today. You know, like I knew it was, I knew it was going to be powerful just because I knew. Well, all I really knew, right, is just sort of like what social media kind of mm-hmm. informs you, right? I knew about the homeless part, and then now you're executive director, at Oxford, and right there, I was drawn to that, and I was drawn to that because to me, it's a, it's a message, it's a huge, loud message of hope,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and I, more and more, the last few days, I've been meditating, and just really pondering, and thinking on the fact that if one of us can make it then we all can make it. Exactly. Right? I, I always
1: say want and need are light years apart. Yes. Right? Yes. We all, in our addictions, and people out there suffering right now, need mm-hmm. recovery. Yes. The difference is is when you want it. Yes. When you actually want it, and you're willing to be ashamed. To deal with your shame, yes. to be open, yeah. to be honest—it's mm-hmm. mm-hmm. th- it's, it's life changing.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, but it but it is possible because one hundred percent. Yeah, you also know, like, and and I know, and anyone out there that struggled it's a lot of times we don't we don't think it's possible, right? So hearing these stories, your story, like Eden's story, you know, Sheldon's story—like there's so many stories. Mm-hmm of recovery of like the these comeback kids kind of thing right Mm -hmm. like the underdogs of the world right like I know too I'm one of those stories too like should have been dead you know what I mean a thousand times over Mm should have been in a mental institution shoulda 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 right but but I'm here but you're here exactly you shouldn't have made it Earl but you did you're here you know, recovery probably didn't look like it was a suitable option for you, but you did recover. I never wanted it,
1: right? I, I didn't. I didn't want it. It was. It was the senseless murder of somebody that I cared deeply for. That I was. Uh, she was my girlfriend, my partner for two and a half years, and she was murdered in two thousand seven on the street she was one of the missing and murdered indigenous women in canada and uh, that that was my last rock bottom i guess you could say mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i uh i always joke when i when i speak that calgary's finest knocked some sense into me because i had uh, gotten pulled out of a store downtown from the police and and got worked over mm-hmm. and it was that that moment sitting in the drunk tank, all lumped up, broken foot, my eye one eye was shot that I made the decision that I was done. Mm-hmm. Right. And i i luck- luckily for me, I I had gotten a, a JP. I had eleven warrants for my arrest. That's why I was in there. Wow. I, I'd had uh, criminal I mean I've I've got uh, you know, assaulting officers mm-hmm trafficking cocaine on my so i you know when you when you punch up my name it's it's not a very favorable uh, list you're looking at mm-hmm. but um i had 11 warrants for my arrest and uh i spoke with the jp and and uh i told him i said i need help it's the first time i actually asked for help mm-hmm. somebody else not not someone one of my friends or somebody i knew i said, I need help dealing with the murder of, of my partner and with my addiction issues. Mm-hmm. And he asked her name, and, and I told him, he said, you know what, I heard about that up here. And, uh, and he released me on my own recognizance, which uh-huh. never happened. I was always good for a grand or two bail. And he released me on my own recognizance, and he said, uh, go get uh, the help you need and clean up all these charges that was november 13th 2007 i limped up to renfrew and i've been clean ever since
0: have you ever reconnected with that
1: i wish i was actually speaking at uh, at rbc at uh, one of their events and one of the guys came up to me and said you know my brother's at jp in in edmonton and and, uh, I think I'm going to let him know to see if that's, that's the, pr- I would love to reconnect with that guy. Cause that. Do you that, remember his name or no, anything? No, yeah. that I was still hazy. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't quite I unfrosted that, yeah.
0: yet, wow, that's, even <laughs> but that, wow. that
1: small, small window yes. of opportunity yes, and the, yeah. the, 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 that he gave me helped change my life. Totally. It, it pushed me in that direction. I, and I limped up there and that was that.
0: See, and that's the thing too. I I you know we don't know when those moments are gonna come. Exactly. See by and and from all like from an outside point of view, you probably just looked like a washed up case, like forget exactly. this guy, he just needs to be in jail. Yep. Like he's never gonna change. Yeah. Look at his rap sheet, look at his right? Yeah. Like he's forget it. It's don't waste your time. Yeah. Right? And and I know I you know, I know these stories all too well of people, human beings that look like they're nothing but a waste of time and end up coming back to be in like not just Uh, contributing members of society but I mean above and beyond contributing members of society Mm -hmm. and so I think it's so important to recognize even that this moment right now because there's how many of those people are out there right now Earl exactly right you and I don't we might know them we might not know them you know what I mean but thousands and thousands yeah but we never have I don't I don't believe we have the right to say that anyone is too far gone.
1: Exactly. You know? I, I was speaking for United Way for their kickoff campaigns last year, and one of the things I always said, because a lot of the, the engagements were downtown in the big sky rises, mm-hmm. and I would mention to the people I'm speaking to how many people have seen the guy downstairs panhandling, and you step over him and you keep going. Yeah, and yeah. I said, that was me. Yeah, yeah. That was me.
2: Yeah.
1: Just to give them... Like I know. you just said you yep. you know look the only time you look down on people mm-hmm. is when you're helping them up mm-hmm. Who am I to judge Yes I know a lot of people judged me that's 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 fine that's everything but
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know I mm-hmm.
1: a lot of that and, and and where I am right now is it's I'm just so grateful I'm so grateful for the opportunity that JP gave me yeah. and then another lady Gwen opened up the door that's that's kind of where the pre-treatment part kicked in where it uh, originated from. I was sitting in there and I had a treatment date for January. Mm -hmm. It was November. If I was going back to the streets, who's to say I would have lived or made it to treatment? Yeah. A lady, Gwen, had made a couple phone calls. She was working part-time at uh, Sunrise Healing Lodge and part-time at the Alpha House. She made a few phone calls. I was in treatment three days later. Wow. That was another, you know, it's Opportunities I've been to- a bit with. those are
0: like divine interventions. Yeah, to and it me. took
1: somebody else to reach out and say. And I remember her telling me that I'd mentioned to them that you look and you sound like you've had enough. And yeah. I had had it. I definitely had enough, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's how much more is a person willing to lose to their addictions, yeah. right? And 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 I would had enough. Mm-hmm. It was just just too much.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna kind of. <laughs> Skip along here, but they I I want to, cause I okay. So the JP released you on your own recognizance. Mm-hmm. You go into treatment. You like you've had enough. You go into treatment. So we're gonna jump forward quite a bit. But so that this was basically it. You never looked back again. Correct. No. Correct. So you've been trudging the road of happy destiny ever since. Yes. Yeah. Lots of pain and suffering along yeah, the way, absolutely. but that, that goes. That's part of it. It's that's life, though.
1: You, you don't use it anymore. Life still comes <laughs> at you. Yeah. It, when you deal with it, sober, mm-hmm. it strengthens your recovery. Absolutely. Right? And, and that was part part of the journey.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So you've been uh, sober and clean for how long now?
1: Uh, <clears throat> over twelve years. Over twelve years. Yeah.
0: Okay. So I want to. Um, I want, if you're if you're okay with it, to talk about kind of where you're at today, because I know you just recently um, went through just some more tragedy, mm-hmm. and it has kind of turned your life, yours and your wife's, life's up, uh, upside down, but I also know that this is something that a lot of people are dealing with now, too, mm-hmm. given the, you know, the fentanyl crisis, the opioid it's horrible epidemic drug. right yeah and just the the amount of loss and deaths overdoses the young youth That's, they're they're yes.
1: they're dying out there and nobody's yeah. I don't think it's not that nobody's helping them it's just at that I mean myself at that age I thought I was invincible mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. and and people are dropping like flies right mm-hmm. we we just moved just like i just took a week off so i could move into into a bigger place so we could take my my sister-in-law's uh 20-month-old daughter in my my wife the devastation like i said when i heard her on the phone say oh no amy my sister again my, my my stomach just nodded i knew i knew what was happening i i'd mentioned it before it's 50 50 every time she uses mm-hmm. and it was a hundred percent that time she had, she'd passed away due to a fentanyl uh poisoning as they say mm-hmm. the overdose and we were actually kinship foster parents to little Sarah for uh, about seven months raising her and then my mother-in-law took over but that's was the whole purpose of this move watching my wife suffer and the, cr- the crying I, I I understand right I understand mm-hmm. that that's her baby sister Mm-hmm. And and to lose her has has been catastrophic. But my wife also lost. Uh, I call her our baby. We weren't together, but uh, I say I'm her father. Destiny, at eleven months old, her, her daughter passed away. And I'd uh, spoken with uh, <coughs> with Karina, and we said Amy Amy is is up in heaven, watching our baby. We'll watch hers down here. So we're going to take her in and, and kinship foster parent her. And I'll be, she already calls me dad, so I'm going to be a dad again at 50. <laughs> but we love her. She, I, I could not, uh, and I know the decision has to be made a lot with people about the foster care system, but that, that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. We're going to give her you know the, the best upbringing we can and, and be her parents. Mm-hmm. When she gets a little bit older, we'll, we'll let her know. That's something she should know yeah right and eventually we're going to adopt her she's going to be our third daughter
2: wow
1: it's it's it was really hard that the picture I sent you and I I told my wife of my uh, my headshot Mm -hmm. I told my wife I said I want you to take a this was right after Amy's funeral all the trauma everything it was just heartbreaking to watch a whole family go through that as mine did a few years before it Mm -hmm. it, it's real unfortunate but I I told her I said I want a picture for my profile at work it's going to be the picture I send out because every time that picture comes up it's going to remind me of Amy and I wouldn't go up and and see her right there was a viewing and they asked if I wanted to I said no because I have a visual of Amy in Mexico laughing Mm -hmm. you know and us being in the ocean that's the image I want I don't want because I know from being at enough funerals I don't want that my last image of her being in the casket
0: yeah I can so relate to that so
1: that's that's the image I have and that's the image I want to keep and we're going to honor her memory by by raising her daughter bringing her into our family we love her
0: Mm -hmm. wow I um
1: See, I knew Karina was the one, my wife. Mm-hmm. When I went to, to honor my dearly departed for the fourth year, I went through the indigenous way, and, and they said to honor her for four years. When I was going for the fourth time, she asked if she could come with. And I knew right then and there, someday once she's done her probation, we'll get married. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my god. Yeah. I'm the only one I'd say that. She's not laughing.
0: she's she's not
1: but that's that's pretty much what I knew we just we just celebrated our first anniversary we've been together for for 12 years I believe almost 12 years I think I'd just taken I was all almost ready to take a year when we first met wow but yeah
0: so you guys uh, have been through the thick and the thin of it
1: she's a trooper throughout my career there's a lot of one o'clock phone calls somebody having a relapse and everything Mm -hmm. and she's at home with the baby Mm-hmm. And uh, she stuck by me the whole time. She's an amazing woman.
0: Wow. You guys are an amazing family. Thank you. Yeah. And. Uh, so are you. Oh, thanks, <laughs> Earl. Yeah. I um. As we kind of start to close, I know there's there's a lot of um, just like heavy content here and a lot of really sensitive subjects and and, and topics and um, but so vitally important to have these discussions and and I'm so so grateful um for you for you being here today for you being just so showing up in such a just a really
1: I came in unprepared willing to <laughs> people need to hear it right yeah. and I'm honored to be here people yeah. need to hear the thousands of stories out there of, yeah. of recovery there yeah. is hope out there absolutely and when when people are willing to speak about it people need to hear it because mm-hmm. you don't know who's listening and I whose agree. life it can affect mm-hmm. I, I appreciate everything you do and I love I love the fact that i was i was actually quite happy when i got that email. Aww, so
0: thank you earl. Before we sign off, i would like do you mind telling all the listeners and things like that tell them just a quick version of oxford because i I, I, and we're gonna we're gonna put it up on the it'll be in the description Mm -hmm. and things like that of the podcast and your contact info and stuff Mm -hmm. like that but just can you tell people just quickly what what oxford is uh
1: what we are is peer supported recovery housing we it's a group setting right Mm -hmm. uh it's actually the residents that decide who comes into the house right you you're going to be living with that person so so you We leave that decision up to the house. We don't just place people in houses, right? Okay, okay. Throughout, uh, we have 19 homes in Calgary.
0: Okay, that's good to know. Eight in
1: Edmonton, one in Drumheller. Uh, We took quite the hit during COVID. A lot of people panicked and and fled, and some people, unfortunately, used that as the excuse that they were looking for to use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I developed pre-treatment housing right back to when I had the two-month wait to get into treatment. Where are you going? Mm-hmm, I know. So now we have a men's and women's pre-treatment okay. home in Calgary. Those ones you are placed in. They, okay. they have a house lead to make sure that uh, everybody's following the guidelines and that mm-hmm. they're making the phone calls to the treatment centers mm-hmm. they're going to okay. and, and hitting their meetings, right? They're responsible okay. for the house. We have uh, entry-level housing, which is for the chronically homeless and institutionalized to give them more time and more resources to get back into the swing of things education okay. resume writing
0: and then there's support yes obviously we have, for, we have a, yeah. an amazing okay. support team okay and is there any any wait lists right now because i know that's no always a, no okay we have, so you're ready to take people right now yes okay. we
1: since i've been here we have never been 100 full because there's a constant rotation of people moving out clean and sober okay, okay. and unfortunately you know there's yeah. their relapses yeah. but there's a constant rotation so there's always room men women we okay. actually just collaborated with Palm Makers Lodge we have uh, we just opened the first peer supported uh, women's recovery home in in Alberta with Palm Makers Lodge Red Woman House it was it was it was quite the opening
0: yeah that's incredible
1: right then we have uh indigenous men's home in Calgary and we have an uh, indigenous men's home in Edmonton okay now i'm trying to d- what i'd like to do is to get pre- pre-treatment housing is helping hundreds totally. of people. Totally, it's a, it's right? a Super idea. You get your date. You come in. You stay connected, and you yeah. go to the treatment center.
0: Yeah. What what age What age do you guys take?
1: Uh, to eighteen and up. Eighteen and up. Okay. Yeah.
0: What's the website?
1: Is www.oxfordhouse.ca.
0: Okay. What's the phone number?
1: Is four zero three. I'll give you my support workers number so everybody bombards them. No, it's uh, <laughs> it's 287 uh, 8771
0: awesome thank you for all thank of you that for me. yeah I I would love to have you again actually you and I can I'm sure there's some other things that we could I, talk for hours yeah fromisha. I think so I think so Earl. Just bring the Kleenex though. yeah I know I know <laughs> I know next time we'll have to have Kleenex but what is I I feel like this podcast was actually jam-packed of hope I I feel like the yeah, I just that's how that's how I personally feel.
1: That's what recovery is, is yes. hope, right? Hope yes. and growth. Yes. And transition yes. Is, is is huge. Yes.
0: So what is one what what's not just one, but what is one of one of the messages that you would like to say to someone right now struggling or a family member?
1: Take a chance on yourself, right? Take that risk, love yourself. You're worth it. Right to be able to look, and you can ask a lot of people in recovery. Look in a mirror, and say, "I love you to yourself." Mm-hmm. If you don't look away, you're on your way. Give your chance. Give yourself a chance to love yourself.
0: Mm-hmm. I love that actually. Take that whole take it. Take a risk on yourself. Take exactly. a chance on yourself. You have to, right? Because everything's so true. A risk. It's It totally is. It totally is. Oh my goodness, Earl. I I can't thank you enough for today. For just how authentically you showed up and and uh it was more than i could have even asked for or thought that this was going to be it was it really means everything to me thank you for being sure. here today yeah thank you for having me and sharing your story and your story of hope your story of recovery uh your family's journey where you guys are now really appreciate your time here today and and i i know i know that i know that i know that you guys listening today i know that you got something out of this um there's so much i mean we we talked about a lot of tragedy today and just a lot of just even even just sadness and just the trauma that we can go through sometimes but i also know that there was there was and there is a lot of hope in this in this story and in this message today and so i just uh we really appreciate having you guys with us on the ordinary courage podcast and i I hope that you'll continue to uh to download the episodes to stay in contact with us uh send in your feedback if you have any feedback or questions uh that you want answered um if you're looking for resources or hope, if you're looking for resources and uh, just, you know, some some solutions, uh, let us know that too and we'll do our best to um, put you guys in, in touch with the right people and the right organizations. Um, no one needs to go through this alone. No one needs to go through addiction alone, to go through abuse alone, and we just really want you to know that there are lots of us out there that have gone through this and have are now on the other side and there is another side. And I just really want you guys to know that, that are listening. And so, um, yeah, stay tuned. Uh, you can follow the ordinary courage podcast on Spotify, Apple podcasts, uh, almost any platform that's out there. Visit the website, uh, com for more, Uh, information. And yeah, thanks everyone for, for being, for being with us today. And thank you, Earl Thiessen, powerhouse warrior (laughs) of a man. Um, And just thanks to, uh, thanks to all of you guys out there listening and, and for joining us on the Ordinary Courage podcast. Stay tuned for next time. Thanks.